0: We are in Psalm 122 this morning, so you have your Bibles open or device that you're reading from, Psalm 122, and as you find that, uh, you're going to have to help me out today. So You're going to have to get used to something new, and this is going to be hard for some of you who like to sit on your hands, which is most of you. Uh, So, you know, again, it looks like you're about ready to, you know, boost some money from a bank. So um, I I just need you at different points. See, you can't smile because I can't see it. So you got to give me a thumbs up. Uh, You can do the, you know, praise hands. Uh, uh, Ryan, I don't want you pointing to people in your aisle. That's probably not a good thing. Like, good point for them right there. Uh, but anything you can do to help give me some feedback, so it's, it's I got used to, to preaching to a camera, I can't get, ask for feedback, but you know, you can nod your head a lot, Will Baker does that well, uh, so he's standing at a, at a particular spot back there, so just keep going Paul, that's a good job. So you, you help a brother out, how about that? Psalm 122 says this, a song of ascent of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Everybody can give a thumbs up to that, right? Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Some few years back, some friends of mine decided to make it their personal goals as a couple to visit every state park in South Carolina. So in case you're wondering, there's 47. And so they decided, hey, we, we, they, they kind of like going to state parks, and they said, let's make sure we go to everyone in the state. And they realized that uh, along their journey that uh, you can get a little booklet. And when you get the booklet, if you get a stamp from the state park, there's a special stamp for every park, you've got to go to the park ranger station. And if you get the stamp, if you fill up the booklet, you get a free T-shirt. And so that was sort of like extra motivation. I mean, they were already going to enjoy the park, but now they're, they're, they've really got a real goal. We're going to get the free t-shirt. And so they made their way through, I don't know, 20, 30 parks, but they told me at the end, they just went for the stand. You know, in the beginning, they had joy and excitement. They, they were doing some adventure together. They would go and read the plaques that you know so few people read, and the history of the park and why the park is here. And they would just make a whole day of it. They would take a picnic. They would make sure whatever the the scenic overlook was for that park, they they made sure they visited that one scenic overlook, and and they spent the whole day on Saturday just enjoying the state park. And about halfway through, maybe two-thirds of the way through, they said, we would drive to the park, find the ranger station, get the stamping, and drive back home. <laughs> and all they wanted at the end, I just need the free T-shirt. That's all I want. And I think that little process can happen in the Christian life. You can get excited and say, "Wow, I can't wait to go to church, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna linger at church. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have lunch with somebody. I'm gonna discuss it. I'm gonna make a whole day of it. I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna read the plaque. I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna really be present for this whole day." And you start out with joy and excitement, but then you just say, "You know what? I'm coming for the stamp." I just need God's little stamp of approval, hey, you're still coming to church, and I want the free t-shirt that says, I get into heaven at the end. And so often, if we're not careful, our spiritual lives just can sort of move towards that direction. And my hope is in the last four months, an old, old love has been rekindled. That over the last four months you just thought, wow, I I just don't realize how much I was getting out of being together in worship. I mean, it was fine to see Paul or listen or there were some different nuances that maybe your family got out of it. But eventually you just realize it's kind of like the Zoom meetings. Pretty soon you're just, I don't want to do Zoom anymore. I want to see somebody face to face. I want to be together. There's something that happens in being together that doesn't happen through a screen. And so my hope is that your your love for the church your love for the body of Christ has has re- been rekindled over the last few months. And our passage today is written by a pilgrim, somebody who's on his way to the house of the Lord. And he's been disconnected from God and he's been disconnected from the people of God for some time, and he 's he has a hunger. you see it in the very first verse, oh, how glad I was when they said i was I had a hunger, and somebody came and said let 's go to the house of the lord yes that's that 's the hunger i feel i I want to go and maybe many of you woke up this morning saying the same thing last week we had a a practice service for several people just to see if there were any wrinkles that we could iron out before we started this week and Afterwards, we had a little Q&A and somebody said, hey, uh, as weird as this was, it was a thousand times better than me sitting in my living room. And then somebody else wrote in this week saying, hey, I felt like last Sunday was Christmas morning. You know, I woke up and I was like, yeah, finally go back to church. But before we listen to our disconnected pilgrim here in Psalm 122, let's... Let's put the psalm in context. The psalm 122 is part of a larger song book. It's like a little hymnal contained in this big hymnal of psalms, 120 through 134. They're all called the psalms of ascent. Because three times a year, the, the, the pilgrims, the, the Jewish people who are scattered around the countryside, would make their way back to Jerusalem. And if you're ever going to Jerusalem, you're always going up. It's in the hills. And so you sing these traveling songs as you ascend up to the city of Jerusalem in the temple of God, and there's a progression in the Psalms, and I want us to see that because it's important as we get to Psalm 122. First, let's just look briefly at Psalm 120. It's the psalm of repentance, or you might think of the psalm of returning, the word repent means to turn around. Hey, you're going in the wrong direction. You need to repent. You need to turn around. And so the very first step towards worship is a step away from the world. The very first step towards worship is actually a step away from the world. I'm turning around from the world, and I'm moving towards the worship of God. In verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 120, the person admits they've, they've pitched their tent in the wrong place. These uh, unusual cities to us, Meshach and Kedar. They're, they're distant lands. They're, they're as far away from Jerusalem as, as that that mindset could be. I've, I've pitched my tent in a distant land for for too long. And notice the characteristics of this distant land. Deceit and discontent. Deceit, verse 2. Deliver me from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. I want, I want you to listen to the pilgrim. The pilgrim has lived in a distant, disconnected land from God, and that land has a tongue. That land has a voice. That land is speaking something to you. And at the the pilgrim is saying, they're all lies. It's It's making promises it can't fulfill. So whether it's advertisers, politicians, technology, entertainers, they're all making these promises that you're just... One click, one view, one purchase, one vote away from the promised land. I mean, you're going to hear this for the next five months. This is the most important election of your lifetime. You know what I heard four years ago? This is the most important. See, it's, it's, it's never quite enough. If I vote this way and I finally get the right person in the right Supreme Court or I finally get the, 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 the phone that I've been wanting or the, the graduation I've gotten or whatever it is, you get it and it's never quite enough. These lies, this deceit that's coming in from the culture leads to, verse 7, war or discontent. Notice the song begins with distress and ends in war. That's that's what it's like in a distant land. These people who are far away from God, they've, they've stuffed themselves on the buffet that's been offered to them. And if you go to the buffet and you stuff yourself and you walk out hungry, you're frustrated. You get angry. And that anger in our culture, right underneath the surface, is war. Don't you feel that even right now? It's not quite working out for me. And so just under the is, if it's given any space, any crack, then what bubbles out is, is anger, frustration, discontent, war. Why? Because we live in a land that's far away from God, and we've, we've tried to stuff ourselves with all these things, but they, they never qu- are quite enough. And so underneath this, discont- underneath this is this discontent that leads to anger. So the very first thing this pilgrim has to do is say, you know what? I pitched my tent in the wrong place. You're familiar with the the parable the prodigal son. Remember that? Remember he goes away to a distant land and he spends all his father's wealth in wild living. And then he ends up eating from the pig trough. And what does it say? He comes to his senses. He says, I pitched my tent in the wrong place. It seemed satisfying for some length of time, but now I realize it's all empty promises. I've got to turn around. I've got to move in a different direction. Mike Mason says this, The heart of a person is like a densely populated city. Nothing can be built in the heart without something else being excavated. So first question here as we move towards worship. What, what have you learned in the last four months needs to be excavated? What buildings had you built in your heart that you thought, boy, this is it, and now they need to be torn down? They need to be excavated in order for me to really worship. Psalm 121, the fellow traveler now, he's walking towards, he's, he's turned away now, he's walking towards worship and notice that there's some things he must continually do. I love this because it's so appropriate for each of us every day. He's got to remind himself of certain truths. He, I mean, he's made the first good step. I was going this way. Now I'm going this way. But as I'm making my way towards the Lord, I've got to remind myself of certain things because the culture is going to continue to call out to me. So he lifts his eyes to the hills. And the hills in the Old Testament days are where shrines are to false gods. And so as he's walking by, as all the travelers are walking by, these shrines are calling out and saying, this is where you find happiness. This is where you find wholeness. They're still calling out saying, oh, give give me one more chance this time, this vote, this click, this purchase, this person, they'll be ultimately satisfying. And he's going to remind himself, my help doesn't come from here. I'm going on a different road. My help comes from capital, L-O-R-D, Yahweh. That's where my help comes. My help comes from the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. That's where my help comes from. I'm not going up to these hills anymore. I'm moving in a different direction. I love how Jeremiah, this this would be a, a great memory verse for you. Jeremiah, he says this in Jeremiah 3.23, Truly the hills are a delusion. So perfect. The hills are, are just a delusion. And so the psalmist, notice what he does. He says the word keeper six times in this little short psalm. I'm reminding myself, who's keeping me? The Lord's keeping me. The Lord's keeping me. And he can't just say it one time. He has to say it at 7 o'clock when he wakes up. He has to say it at 10 o'clock in the morning. He has to say it at noon. He has to say it at 3. He has to say it at 6. He has to say it at, He has to constantly say, I'm not going back to those gods. The Lord, Yahweh, he's my keeper. So this would be a great prayer, a little, great little practice for, for you and for me. Maybe if you just try it for a week before you get up, I don't know how many times you hit the snooze button, but one of the time, one of the six or eight minutes you have in between your snooze alarm, let's hope it's not 25 minutes, you say this, Lord, in my travels today, I'm going to pass by many hills. You could probably know what they are right now. One of them would just be technology. My guess is many of us Check technology before you even get out of bed. I'm going to pass by many hills. They're all going to call out empty promises. And I have previously believed in these empty promises. So they reach into something and ask me to come, and I feel drawn to them. And I, I know it's a delusion. I know you're my keeper. And then you get out of bed. That that just that little practice, that little orientation, could help set us, set you in the right direction for the rest of the day. Psalm one twenty two. Finally, we get to to the psalm. It begins with an explosion. I, yes, I am ready to worship. I've turned away from the world. I've taken that first step. I've reminded myself that the Lord is my keeper. I'm not going back to my old ways. And our feet, which were previously standing in the wrong place, now, oh, thank the Lord, they're standing inside the city where, where God dwells in, in Jerusalem. And, and let, let's put ourselves in the position of this pilgrim walking into Jerusalem. Let's sort of look through his glasses and see what he sees, feel what he feels. Verse 3, the very first thing, I'm observing the city, Jerusalem. A city built of stones, everything built of stones over there, walls, homes, the temple itself. And notice what he says, they all perfectly fit together. Love what one commentator says. The city itself is a kind of architectural metaphor for what worship is. The city itself is a metaphor for worship. This is where everything fits together. Worship is where everything fits together. No loose stones, no fragments. In Jerusalem, as in worship, all the scattered fragments of our experience, all the bits and pieces of truth, our feelings, they all fit together in a single whole. This is where if you've fallen off the wall like Humpty Dumpty, you come back to worship there is one person who can put all the pieces back together again. You can take all of your feelings, all of, their, all of your relationships, all of your trials, all of your anxieties, and, and put them back together and say, this is how you live as a, as a whole person. That's how you figure it out. You come together with God and the people of God. And notice in verse 4, there's there's other people there, various tribes, he notices. These are all people that are not part of his tribe, not part of his ethnicity, not part of his culture. They're, they're coming from different places, but they're all coming to praise the Lord. And this is where not only fr- a fragmented life comes together, but fragmented groups of people come together. This is the one place that we stand underneath the Lord and say, even though you're coming from a different tribe, we can stand together because we're Worshiping the Lord. It's a beautiful picture. And I want to I pause just to make a comment here about this value that you get from being in worship together. Putting your life back together. Putting lives that are disconnected from each other. Cultures that are disconnected back together. This sermon is part of a series that we're calling Sermons for this Stream. And the picture that we have in this the series is uh, whitewater. Many of you have been whitewater rafting, and a lot of it is just kind of floating down the river, but there's certain places called whitewater, and there's rapids, and they have ones, twos, threes, fives, and it's very exciting, but it's also very dangerous, and it's just my feeling, certainly not any kind of thing like a prophecy, but it feels like to me as a church we're coming around a bend in our culture. It's going to be full of white water. just has that feeling. Now look, I'd be happy to be wrong. But it just feels like we're, we're coming out of a little bit more smooth water, but we're heading towards more turbulence, more things happening in the culture that are, are churning things up. And And I can't say this strongly enough. The church The gathered people of God sitting under the Word of God is the raft He has provided for you to make it through. Amen? That's God's plan. I mean, you may say, no, I think it's great me being out by myself fishing. That's not God's plan. I mean, it's wonderful for you to do that, but that's not the same as this. We don't want to confuse. This is the raft. And if you and I treat it like a place just to collect stamps, we're not going to make it. We're just not going to make it. This is the place where your fragmented life gets put back together and our fragmented lives in a culture get put back together in a strength, in a bond that is less breakable as we leave here on a Sunday morning. Rod Dreher, I don't know if you're familiar with his name. He's written several books. Uh, One, The Benedict Option, really provocative, I thought helpful. He also has a blog um, that might be helpful to you. And he says this in the book, The Benedict Option. A church that is a church only on Sunday is not only failing to be the church Christ calls us to be, it's not all it's, it's also not going to be the church with strength and focus to endure the trials or whitewater ahead. The church, listen, the church can't just be the place you go on Sundays. It must become the center of your life. If we're heading for whitewater, this is the place you can Find the way through. Everyone here has centered their lives on something or someone. Everyone has. Even if you don't know what it is, you have. And I want to ask you, is there something that must be excavated right away in order for you to make it in the next five to ten years? Is there something you've built, something you've hoped for, some person you've put too much weight on, something that you thought, if I got that, that now that's got to be excavated because the whitewater is going to toss me out because I'm really holding on to something else that's not, not the rock. Are you, are you ready and willing to build your life around the church? Or would you rather, rather just collect stamps? Two final observations here. Verse 5. There the thrones for judgment were set. This word judgment means the place where God straightened things out. Uh, you think about coming before a judge and there's a trial and he hears the, the information and he straightens things out. He says, hey, this is what's true. And, of course, we come and God tells us, hey, this is what's true. We've been in a distant land. We've been disconnected to God. We've been driven by these empty promises. We've been driven by voices and feelings in our own head. And when we come to worship, we say, now I'm getting oriented around God. He's going to straighten things out. Again, one commentator says, if we stay at home by ourselves and read the Bible, we're going to miss a lot. Our reading will be conditioned by our culture, limited by ignorance, distorted by our unnoticed prejudices. Worship under the word of God is where God straightens us out. See, so often you, you get into these cultural conversations, you say, well, I feel one way, but God seems to say something else. See, that's, that's the white water right there. Which way are you going to go? Which hill are you going to try to climb and worship on? Many of us are familiar with Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And you know, many of us know that. But really, we think, but well, yeah, God pretty much thinks like I do. I mean, you say it, but you think, but but we're pretty much on the. He's on my page. That's just a sort of an underlying assumption. Well, that's true. Like for them, that's really true for them, but not for me. And here we learn to adjust. Finally, in verse seven, love this closing verse. The the distress, the deceit, the discontent of Psalm one twenty is traded in. Notice these two big words: peace and security. You don't see them quite like the psalmist wants you to see them uh, in English. Because in Hebrew it says shalom and shalva. Just say that with me, with your mask on. Shalom and shalva. That's how he's trying to say it. You come, you finally get here, you finally get home, and shalom shalva. I would love to have heard somebody say that back then. Not peace and security. I mean, not shalom and shalva. Yeah, that's what I want: peace and security. Shalom is. Wholeness, wholeness. Jesus comes, and at Christmas time, we remind, we are reminded, He is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Wholeness. The first breakdown is between us and God, and He's putting that back together. And that being put together gives you hope that you can be a a whole person, a whole person, and shalva. Shalva. I'm going to say that five times today. Shalva. The root meaning is leisure. It means relax. It's not security like security forces. Like security like I've got a lot of money in case problems happen. No, it's relax. Shoulders down. Foot not tapping. No biting your nails. I'm not the keeper. I'm not keeping anything. He's keeping me, so I can completely relax. Everything's going to be all right. That's the feeling you should have in worship. My mother was five feet one inch tall. She weighed a hundred and five pounds. And when I was in high school, I'm sure I was twice her size. And I would have bad, some bad days in high school. I would find my mother in the evening sitting on one end of the couch. And when I had a bad day, I'd lay down, put my head in her lap. And she liked to sing. She sang in church choirs. She played the guitar and liked to sing. It's where I get my good voice from. She would sing a little song. She would hum. She would scratch my head. And I would lay there until I thought, everything's going to be all right. It was like a place of wholeness for me. And I want you to notice, nothing changed about my external circumstances. What changed in those few minutes was my internal circumstance. I'd gotten connected to somebody who could say, it's going to be all right. She wasn't that person. Ultimately, that's the Lord. But that's the picture. You come and you lay down. I don't want you to lay down right now, but you lay down. You put your head on God's lap. He sings a little song over you. And you just stay until you say, Everything's going to be all right. So glad we're back together. But I want you to know that there might be more difficult days ahead. And it's critical. It's critical that you say, I'm, I'm all in here with these people, with the word of God, to transform my thinking, to put me back together. Please don't be a person who just collects stamps. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for just these few moments to be together. Pray that you would use our time, as as odd and awkward and different as it is, to put us back together to straighten out our thinking, to strengthen our bonds with each other, and cause us to be able to absorb the impact of the culture as we leave today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.